Welcome, everyone, to another episode of your favorite show about directors talking directing uh, from your favorite popcorn movies or also just other weird movies. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Adam Ganser, and with me is the maestro of this particular uh, episode. Introduce That's right. <laughs> I'm Abe Everson, and it's an Abe show. It's, it's an, an Abe, Abe. It's an it's Abe, Abe episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah, hell yeah, dude. How you doing? Oh, I'm great, my friend. Uh, I'm wonderful. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's mm-hmm. you know we've had kind of a not too warm of a September. Which, yeah, uh, I thought it was going to be a lot hotter. I'm a little worried about next month. I mean, but... Right, because we had that 120 degree day last year. Right, uh, but it could be. Um, it could it, just it could in just terms shift. of day after day after day. Yeah, yeah, if it if it shifts and we have like one last like just spree of heat heat wave i think is what they call it yes true uh if we get another heat wave or two in the next month and a half uh it might change it but i think this might actually be one of the more mild la uh summers so i've I've lived through since i've been here which normally i don't care about weather but like i mean i don't like i don't like i'm not like interested in it but like august and september when people want to talk about heat i'm in for that because man it can get ugly in this city yeah, yeah, it, it yeah, it feels like summer. Like sometimes you're sitting there in July and you're like, oh, if this is the worst it's gonna get, uh, this is this ain't that bad. And then uh, L.A. summers seem to have this way of getting you in the August and September months where it's like you thought July was the hot one. No, it's me. Yeah, September. <laughs> it's me. Early October. You didn't yeah. expect it, did you? Yeah, it, they really yeah. push it. They really they do. push it. I mean, it's yeah. gonna be it's gonna be an Australian summer for too long. In our lifetime, yeah, right? Yeah, it's just strange to consider all of the horrible things that are happening in terms of the climate <laughs> and all of the, all the indications. Otherwise, LA's yeah. kind of had it pretty easy. In yeah, fact, we had year. rain like we did two days ago. Yeah. We did. I mean, so we're not here to brag at you. Uh, we're just here kind to bragging, we're taking this... we're usually on fire, so yeah. it's okay to brag. <laughs> we're taking uh, we're taking our simple pleasures and uh, enjoying them. Now, Abe, did you uh, did you want to admit to the audience that you were called the king of the wonder at Cracked? Uh, did you want to did you want to come out with that? Ca- was I called that? He made us. You made us wear make you a crown, <laughs> a makeshift crown. It said wonder on it. <laughs> That's, now that you say it, I vaguely remember. I it vaguely now. remember yeah. always wearing a crown. That's There's right. something about that about being yeah. the king of the one. Yeah, yeah. No, but sounds- he was. It's not a bit. Like, so Abe, Abe did a lot. Abe basically did all of the really cool oneer sketches. It cracked. Uh, there was several of them. They were always really good. Uh, I was fortunate enough to act in a couple of them, which is a thing I shouldn't be doing. Uh, but yeah, no, it's like I have a, it's a big show. Let's have everyone in it. That right, was exactly. What I, my thought. Yeah. yeah, and those were like definitely they felt like parties every time we had one of those shoots. They were very fun. Yeah, not for it's you like probably. A perform- well, it's a performance as opposed to like the typical filmmaking that we would do because it would be like we're gonna get like 10, 15 of these, and one of them is gonna be the answer. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. let's rehearse the pants off of it. That's right. Uh, I think also you enjoyed having me uh, act in them because I'm okay. And I think it just amused you to watch me do it. You know, like, yeah. I, like I, I got that feeling. You're like, look at him trying. <laughs> no, it wasn't that malicious, bit. though. No, no, it was no just I don't like, think it's malicious. No, no, no. It's, uh, you've put me in stuff before. Of course. I mean, you know, mutual admiration and affection, yeah. of course. But, but uh, also keep your enemies close. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Some Godfather shit going on here. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I introduce you as King of the Wonders because I think that's germane to the film we're going to talk about today. 
uh, 2016's Don't Breathe, uh, mm-hmm. a film I had yeah. not seen before this morning. Uh, yeah, I uh, I was watching it, you know, the other day, and something kind of perked up, which is that I noticed that something I do, and it was something like my um. I think it's a neat little trick for saving time with movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, something my professor at universe uh, UCSD was uh, always told me is like, I usually only watch 30 minutes of movies because most movies are bad and 30 minutes is enough to tell me all of your bag of tricks. Wow. And I think that that actually, there's only a few, like the vast majority of films this is true of. Um, I think that rarely, but they of course are exceptions to the rule are films that will take such a surprise that you, you go, Oh, I needed to watch 60% of this movie before this movie really kicked it in high gear. Uh, one of them that I can think of off the top of my head is sorry to bother you. But I also think that that movie is good enough in its first act that if you aren't still hanging around in your, in the second act, like, I don't know what's wrong with you. I just think that movie is really good. I would say Uh, the matrix It's a movie that really kicks it into high gear late in the game. The matrix also matrix is a great one. Yeah. And yeah, they're usually movies that are good anyway. So watching the first 30 minutes is going to make you want to continue to watch the film. True, But if you're watching a movie and 30 minutes in, make this rule for yourself. If you're like, I want to watch more movies, but I feel like sometimes I'm wasting my time because I'm watching these movies waiting for these things to be good. Mm. Trust me, the 30 minute rule, it works. So if you just want to save time on watching movies and you can watch up to two, maybe even. Uh, <laughs> so that's weird to me. Same like, amount of time. He's only watching <laughs> movies to see what, like, how are they making this movie? Like, like, yeah, like the bag of tricks. Like, yeah. what, are, what are the kind of thing? Like, what's it look like? What kind of shit are they going to do this here? Movie, what's the good thing of this movie? What's make this movie like kick it? So he, you know, like, so he Indiana doesn't. Indiana Jones whipping shit, and, right, like, right, right, make, right, up to hijinks. It's in the first thirty minutes. So he if doesn't do it. You're gonna watch it all. He doesn't get hooked into the story much. Then sounds like, right? Like, uh, like story yeah. doesn't do it for him much. Yeah, interesting. I mean, That's interesting. Because I think that. If stories are beginning, middle, end, right? <laughs> if you don't have a good beginning, <laughs> right, right, uh, right, right, right. You, that's one third of your story not being good. I don't know how you're going to save it from here. You got to have a good beginning. It's, I yeah. I mean, I remember my – no, no. I'm not saying you're wrong. I just think it's an interesting idea. Uh, I remember my screenwriting professor at USC insisting on like any time there was a problem in the script, fix it in the first act. Like he was constantly yeah. like, fix it in the first act. Go back to fix the first it in act. the first act. Exactly right. right. I mean, you know, so if your first act kills, you're you're you are you fuck up if you fuck it up. You know, like sometimes I just had this realization because I was working on another script recently, and I'm like, this first act was like a goddamn mess, and then adjusted it, and I was like, this first act rules. If I fuck the rest of this up, I'm an idiot because this first act has everything. So <laughs> what the fuck am I doing? I don't know. It's just one of those things no, that I, it, I think you're absolutely right. First act sure. is everything for a lot of the story, for the writing of the story, for at least the the Tetris that is like storytelling and filmmaking stuff, you know, like the narrative structures and, you know, how act one plays and what's your bag of tricks in terms of filmmaking style. Uh, all that stuff is on display in act one. 
And so you're not going to get more. You might, you're going to get more of it, but you're not going to get anything different in Act Two or Three. This or movie is bonkers. This movie has an incredibly short first act. Yes, like they're robbing but, that house at like minute fifteen, <clears throat> maybe. Right. So let's get into it yeah. because that's what, what you're talking about. It is an exact, uh, I would say, symptom of the thing that I want to talk about. Okay, cool. Which is I want to talk about how you do plant and payoff. It's a fairly known trope. I'm probably speaking down to some people, but I just want everyone on the same page. Most people know what plant payoff means, but real quick, the idea is that if, let's say, you show a loaded gun in Act 1, this means conventionally in Act 3 that gun will play a necessary role in the climax of the story. It's about cueing the audience to a detail of the world that later can be used. Uh, the example I just gave is what we is like described as Chekhov's gun. Uh, but this can be any insert or close-up in a movie revealing, oh, Hal is listening or something like that. Um, this type of movie in screenwriting language, I guess, typically breaks a movie up into eight sequences, about 10 mm -hmm. to 12 minutes a sequence. And I just want to talk about that second sequence, which that ends act one. Yeah, that's a good um, that's a good ass sequence though in this movie, and it's a good ass sequence. Yeah, and so uh, I want to give context. What if for people who haven't seen Don't Breathe? Don't Breathe is a. F I mean, I don't. You feel free to disagree with me. I think it's a fairly mediocre film. You know. Uh, okay. I liked it better than that. Okay. Good. Yeah, uh, I, I liked it better. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I thought it. It's dumb. It's, I'm I'm going to talk about how intelligent it is right yeah. now. Yeah, you yeah. Know? Like, but I think that the movie it, it succeeds. It's pro in doing the thing, but it's not. Um, you know what? Probably mediocre is bad because what's mediocre now these days is like trash. So, <laughs> that, I mean, well, so my opinion is that this is, I guess, above average. I think this movie remains engaging the whole time, even if right. it's a little silly. Right. Yeah. But yeah. As you said, it's 2014, it's, and it features, from the burglar's point of view, a home invasion. It's about three thieves hearing about an old man with $300,000 who lives alone in like an isolated, completely abandoned neighborhood. It's basically a thief's dream because there's just like, oh, we can be loud as we want. Oh, we can do whatever we want. Oh, this is great. Like we can, no one's going to be out looking for us, right? Turns out the guy is blind. Yeah, and they find this out when they're scoping out the place in in Act One in the first sequence. So Act Two, or sorry, the second sequence is them entering the house, and it becomes this kind of for the rest of the movie, a game of cat and mouse where nearly this nearly like supernatural blind man named Norman Nordstrom uh, attempts to find them and kill them just within his house because he's locked them in from the inside. So just to, uh, just to clarify. Yeah. Would you make the case that in this movie, basically all the way up until money gets shot and killed, we're in the first act? Is that what you would argue? I mean, traditionally speaking, it's like once they're robbing the house, the first act is yeah. over. But I also yeah, I felt... I mean, it's around there. Okay, great. So I, I felt when I was watching it that they were doing something very unusual because the robbery... They had almost no debate at all on the robbery... Um, and then the con like there should have been debate for the robbery, which it becomes clear as they jump into the house, and the movie really sort of takes its full form once money is murdered. I thought 
Yeah, I, I would say the act one, act two, act two break is either the beginning or the ending of that sequence where money meets Norman. Okay. All right, I, I can, you know, because I can it's, accept it's that. It's whether or not you, it's, it's two sides of the same coin, right? There's a line somewhere in yeah. there where a choice is made, I guess. But the choice was already made. Uh, that's kind of what's unique to a lot of horror movies is that our there's not an act one decision that propels the narrative forward in horror films. Typically they are locked in a place. They stumble in a place and the door is locked behind them. Right. This is kind of, this is kind of the unique aspect of this um, movie, which is that the movie just kind of sets out essentially like the puzzle pieces that you're eventually going to make the puzzle out of. And the puzzle is the movie. And it just shows you all of the puzzle pieces and says, hey, all of the things are here. I'm now going to deploy them one at one after another until I have a beautiful puzzle thing. It's made. true. Like, like for contrast, what's interesting about this movie is that, like, you kind of start to learn what the real stakes of it are once they begin the robbery. Like a lot of other yes. movies, like by contrast, I'll just use Ocean's Eleven because it was top of mind. Ocean's Eleven, you get an entire montage explaining all the stakes before they actually start robbing the place. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of heist movies or even horror movies, there's like, you know, there's going to be explanation before they actually embark on the seance or before they break into the yeah. casino, you know, like that's, but this movie did it the other way around, which is they start the break in and then they kind of realize like very early They're on, fucked in. this They're is fucked in. up. This is really it fucked up. It wasn't getting in. That was yeah. a problem. It's getting out. Yes. Right, right, right. Yes. Yeah. It's different from, I mean that same format is used for like any of the haunting movies right. or like like um like 13 Ghosts or whatever you know like it's like they have a motivation to go there but then for some reason the doors are locked or there's this magical seal on the window It's much something. worse than they anticipated. It's why Alex yeah. starts to leave again mm-hmm. uh but then comes back after the shooting which is a thing he shouldn't do. He yeah. shouldn't have done. Yeah. Yeah, uh so I wanted to mainly discuss that 30 minutes of the film because I think there's some pretty impressive plant and payoff occurring in the sequence. In fact, almost all of the movie is on display in one shot. If you really looking for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that shot interesting. Is awesome. Yeah. That shot it's is a very awesome. good shot. Cause yep. it says this is going to be important. This is going to be important. And when you add them all together, it's like 80% of the movie. Um, that's pretty impressive for a, like three and a half, three minute and 15 second shot. So, uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of wisdom in how the film sets up the space because the space is so important to this movie about like the geography that the rest of the film plays in. Um, what I like about this film is that it shows that God is in the details, uh, and it does this by any small, it focuses randomly at times and puts it in like an insert, Any small and seemingly insignificant nuance of a house, whether it be like a hammer on a wall or a portrait on a mantle or a bell in a hallway, they all play part of the unraveling of the story. And these visual focal points are when the movie is really at its best because those visual focal points all matter. Of course they do. The film shows a very restrained version of this geography that I'm talking about. And what I mean by that is that it limits itself to a single house for like the entire movie. And the filmmakers hone our fo- focus to these like tiny objects or nuances 
with everything that they have, they basically throw the kitchen sink at it. They do it through close-up and they do it through sound design. So sound and pictures both doing a very specific thing in this movie. And obviously the movie's main high concept is that because he's blind and only has like sound as a reference for their position, our monster, uh, the, the, old the his domain, yeah. the antagonist, will be the protagonist's fall. And sound was the n- way in which he kind of beats them, right? Yeah, I mean... So obviously, every little sound has large consequences. I think this movie is remarkable for how it doesn't have to be tight all the time. Like given how given how like limited it is in scope, like you're in one house the whole movie really, except for like a little bit at the end, a little bit at the beginning, and it doesn't feel that claustrophobically shot. Like there's a lot of moving <clears throat> shots and stuff. It feels very yeah. Lensing is pretty smart. Yeah, this guy knows what he's doing. A lot of medium wides. Yeah, a lot of medium wides. This guy's a good director, I thought. Uh, yeah, Fetty I, I think Alvarez. he knows what he's doing. Anyway. Yeah. Um... <clears throat> But it doesn't really just stop with the filmmaking tricks. There's also something uh, I want to talk about, or just like briefly. It's very clear that they knew what they were doing uh, as the quote, God is in the details, end quote approach is just literally, it's like literally in the story. It's in the narrative. The character Alex cites nuances of legal code all the time. Yeah, yeah. And it like, which is a weird affectation to give to a character, but it's, I guess, charming, but it's not really used for charm. But like, he points out how like if there's particular ways in which we commit this crime they're going to have different repercussions and he mentions it time and time again in an early scene he talks about how he doesn't like how we're stealing he he doesn't want to do the job because three hundred thousand dollars from one job is a bad idea because if they did take that all it would mean a felony with 10 plus years whereas he's like i like our normal gig where we still steal like jewelry under ten thousand dollars uh, and he's like, if you just do that much, much more, you can never get caught with a felony. Like that's 10 plus. So again, he mentions that Nordstrom has the legal right to shoot them because money reveals that he brings a gun to the robbery and Alex kind of chastises him for that. So they have this character in the movie. Who's like one of four characters that sweats all of the little details and he's always the person who's like the Leela of the group, so right, to speak, to right. use like the Futurama term, saying like, no, 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 don't do that. Stop it. Stop it. You know, like dummies. <laughs> and uh, he, Alex is, that's what he's occupied with. That's what his time and his mind is always thinking of. And that's of note. <clears throat> but I wanted to more go over how the setup of the house works. And I want to just go through it chronologically. Might as well, because it's, it's pretty short. Sure. But here we go. Sure. So when the group arrives, the first hurdle that they have to get over is that they hear a dog in the side yard. They throw a treat with what looks to be like a sedative over the gate. Yeah. Right? Yep. And the soundscape, if you listen, is just silent. There's no distant cars or insects or anything in the nighttime that you'd hear in like how they typically mix a, a nighttime scene in a Hollywood movie. There's no audio backdrop in this. We only hear... Uh, a fairly deafening bark as they get closer. Like it's really loud as soon as you get there. And when, when the dog eats the treat, even though he's off the dog's off screen eating the treat, we hear the sound of eating. Like it's right in our ears. Right. So already the filmmakers cueing to us, there's going to be something supernatural with sound in this movie. 
Although as a casual viewer, you don't really notice it. It's not. Because it's not enough. It's that just you movie would. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's like well, it's it's just something you might expect that a movie might do. You notice it, but you don't really. I mean, I yeah, I don't think that the average moviegoer can tell when uh, unless they really draw attention to it when the sound design is being manipulated. You know. Yeah, and they're really drawing attention to yes. it in this movie, and they're still kind of um, getting away with it. I would argue. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think. I think it's early enough in the movie that big uh, offers are like, oh, that's I'll accept it. Right. I mean, for instance, they never, I don't think they ever said, but like basically sound design implies that this blind man lives alone on this block. Yeah. Like it's not clear that like they said it was a, a poor neighborhood or whatever, but like mm-hmm. basically the amount of hell they're raising, there's no human should have brought people. You know, yeah, and uh, I mean, and obviously, didn't. their plan is to rob it and right. under the cover of darkness, right. steal out, never making a sound. So that wasn't necessary to their goals. But over it's it once the reveal happens that it's a conflict now, and like he's there and he knows that they're there. Uh, sound needs to be one of those things that the narrative, the scripts, just solves and just says, "No one's around, so no one can." Hear yes, it. and it does that in a way that I didn't think about it till just now. Yeah. Which is like a lot. I mean, there's five houses or whatever. You can see them all. Yeah, you can see them. But you never ask anything because of the sound. But they're all boarded up and abandoned. And and they did all the work in order to make you believe that. I don't know what this place is, but I bet there's a place like that somewhere. It's it's Um, Detroit, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's just a lot like a suburb that or not. Yeah. Like a slightly, slightly way out of the city. Uh, far enough away from the city but you know just no one lives in him anymore there's not enough you know money i guess um yeah but he is he's there and he's yeah anyway um the second th- so after the dog stuff the second thing they do is they try the front door uh and we get the lock in a close-up and it's like not budging um and i don't won't go into why it's it doesn't matter the point is they can't really they're not, they're trying to get through the front door with these like master locks and they can't really it doesn't seem to work and they don't know why at first uh but again it's done all with very loud sound design um then the next thing they do is continue into the side yard because they realize okay well now the dog's asleep uh, and we can't get in the front door so let's try the side door they hop over into the side yard the dog's asleep. Cue snoring sounds. They find an adjacent to the doghouse is a hatch to a tornado shelter that is in the basement. So they try to unlock that. But now there's a lock inside that. Again, close up on lock. Again, sound plays super loud, super close. Which is funny because that's another clue to what's going on here that right. kind of blows right past you because of the intense sound design. Which mm-hmm. is why? Why would any tornado hatch have a lock on the inside? Right. Why would that ever that, exist? It shouldn't. You know. No. Like, but there's a reason uh, for it. Uh, yeah. Anyway, they kind of even call it out. They're like, "What?" Like he, his they reaction do, to but it's locked from the inside. He goes, "Huh?" It, and then they just move on because they're just like, "Okay, that's the situation, I guess." And you're so worked up as an audience member for like, "Why the fuck are they doing this if the guy's still home?" Like that's yeah. a real and, plot armor issue. And your main occupation right now is tension right. as a viewer, right. as you're watching this. And if you like are, t- are enjoying the ride of don't breathe, your feeling is very much so that you're like, are you, they're making a lot of sound. Yeah, exactly. Are they, are he, is this over exactly. before it begins kind of thing? Yeah. Of course it's not. It's a movie. 
get out of here, kid. But it, but it, you uh, are thinking that. I mean, that sound design are, raises the yeah. stakes of every little thing they do here. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And I'll go on one more time and say they notice barred windows in the ca- that the camera pans to. Cue this for later. That's a plant and payoff. Right. They try to unlock the side door itself. Have the same problem. Again, loud, close. Next, they notice a window without bars. Hey, that's lucky. And Rocky, uh, she breaks the glass and slides into the first floor bathroom. As she enters, <clears throat> her butt kind of hits the alarm sensor, which we see in close-up, her butt hitting the sensor. And then we see another shot that is like the consequence of that shot. So it's like, beep, beep. And then we cut over to the camera dolling onto the security system display that reads out 30 seconds in order to disable. So they have to like type in the code, right? Or it will call the police. It says like uh, contact 911 or something. Yeah, they have a clicker that does it, right? And they have, yeah, yeah, that becomes a crucial point, plot point later when they want the police to come to the house because they realize that that actually would benefit them more than trying to get out of the house. Right. Uh, So this becomes, the whole uh, alarm system becomes helpful thing. So we're seeing that uh, fairly early, we're, we're planting paying off, right? So Rocky descends down the wall and she steps on the broken glass from the window that she broke and it crunches beneath her boots. Again, the sound design is hyper focal, hypersensitive. One piece of glass sticks to the sole of her shoe. So as she exits out the bathroom and down the hallway, each step has this kind of crackle and scrape across the ground again holding the audience's hand towards focusing on sound. She hears it even, takes out the glass and proceeds, which I, I like. I like that our characters are intelligent. You know, they're like, this is, I, this is stupid. I, I, as a filmmaker, I created a problem and I had a character who solved it immediately. Um, so she gets to the alarm. She disengages the alarm system with her magic unlocking clicker device and lets the other two in. Then is the big thing that I want to talk about is that basically that setup was not a one there. Now what's sensational about what I'm about to talk about is it is more or less a one but it's doing the same kind of thing. And this one is basically setting up the space. Now that we're in the house, let's set up all the spaces that will serve as a set piece for the rest of the film. In other words, there's like six more sequences to go in this movie. Let me draw y'all six. And it's about, the one itself is about a three minute and 15 second, uh, like what looks to be continuous shot. If you think so, if you think of it as continuous shot, like single shot, it's three minutes and 15 seconds, but I don't know about you. I'm sure you can't, you could have counted or you did count. Uh, but my, tells me that it's actually five shots with four. Yeah. Minutes. There were cuts. They didn't, and they, they didn't pull a true. Your, your, yeah, they, your crown is on, is on d- diminished because <laughs> they, he had to cut for sure. Yeah, the cut, and that's smart because you don't notice. Who cares? Yeah. So he usually cuts when it's like painting through something that's black. Yeah. He um, still gets credit, uh, but he doesn't get the crown. It's still very good. Doesn't get the crown. Plus, he went through floorboards, which I'm gonna I'm gonna break. I love that in hindsight. At the time, mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh, he's doing some Fincher bullshit." Uh, like you know, just like yeah, showing, like he's doing some Fight Club shit. You know what I mean? Like that's the kind of thing. But it's like, nah. But it, there's a whole there's a purpose in this yes. crawl space. Yeah. Yes, that's what I'm gonna talk. I about. know. I'm gonna point out the times that the camera leaves the protagonist while they're looking around the house, checking to see if Nordstrom is still awake, because that's their first job as soon as they've broken in, right? Is to see that all right, no one's fucking in. Which, here, by right? the way, is uh, a weird thing to do in a movie. 
it's actually weird that like this shot is weird, but it's so successful at delivering everything that you want out of it and setting up everything the way you're going to talk about that you don't mm-hmm. care that it's kind of leaving a point of view that you understand. Yeah, right? Yeah. I love that about it. I would say so. I would say so. Yeah. Um, so every time the camera does move, these protagonists is what we're kind of talking about. It usually goes to a random object or to a significant character detail. Uh, these break up, these kind of move us through the space and they break us up into like these sections that I'll talk about. Uh, and they each add a plant for an eventual payoff. It's rare. I would say in a movie like this, that they're assembled so densely and closely together in terms of like movie time. Mm-hmm. Like usually plants and payoffs are like, Oh, notice that thing on the wall. Anyway, more scene, scene, scene two minutes later. Oh, there's a gun in the you know desk or, you know, whatever. It's not like boom, play, payoff, payoff. Look, look at this thing. Look at this thing. Look at this thing. Um, it's like the writers and the director said, yeah, let's have them all at once and let's embrace that. Um, and I think there's something to that, but also it might've just been a choice just to be like, it would, it would be cool to do that stylized to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you think about it, it's actually the most important three minutes of the movie. Definitely. No question. Uh, and it's smart that that's true because it happens to probably be the most visually captivating three minutes of the movie. It's very impressive to watch. It's kind of cool. Um, so let's break down this one uh, and talk about how they're doing these things. So the first thing that the group does in the one is take off their shoes. This kind of signals that they're not dumb. They're aware that they make sounds, uh, but also as a viewer, it's telling us that we should be putting ourselves in the headspace of the protagonists. Like, Oh, there's a reason why you take off your shoes. And most importantly, it reveals that there's now three pairs of shoes that are just there. God is in the details. Everything, everything that happens, every small insignificant detail has consequences. Yes. Some, something that later when Norman smells like their feet, he's like, what the fuck? I'm smelling feet smell. It makes him realize that there's, three thieves and not just one because at, when he kills money he, uh he money says i'm the only one here and so he has no reason to think that there are any number of thieves in the house at that point but then he finds the shoes and at that moment realizes you know near there's uh, more than one it ups the stakes yeah. because um there's a level of safety for them in that act one so when we get into the beginning of act two they stay out of his way uh, and that's it's where, where it's been fine just to stay out of his way. He's actually proactively pursuing them at this point. Uh, the second thing that the uh, Warner does is that Alex moves forward and we kind of track with him and he enters like the first room we see directly in front of them and he starts to check under a workbench. The camera leaves him looking under the workbench and dollies into a close-up composition of a hammer. That hammer is later will be a weapon that Alex uses against Nordstrom. Then the camera roves to Money, who's exiting like a storage room full of like chairs for some reason. He looks up and the camera follows what he sees, which is a group of bells attached to a string, which we gather some kind of alarm system, right? But it's actually, we find out later, Nordstrom has kidnapped a woman and kept her in his basement. And if she moves too much, the bells ring. Mm-hmm. So plant and payoff. When we drift, then we drift to Rocky, who's entering a closet, and so 
camera kind of just follows with her. She's looking around. She inspects the shelves and then camera reveals a safe takes a beat on and holding on that before moving on. The safe obviously is where the $300,000 is. Next, we scrape across the wall back towards Alex, but not before stopping at a doorway with several locks on it. This will be revealed as the doorway to the basement, which takes us into like, I think sequence four of act two. Next, uh, we kind of, once we reach Alex, he's looking at the alar electronic alarm display making sure it's disarmed, you know, that, which I think is a redundant beat, but they think needed to kind of get like, give us the spatial cues that like, we know the jar. I think that's oh, what it is. Full yeah. circle. They want us yeah. to know where it is, I think, which I think is hyper aware of. And what I'm kind of saying is that if they really want you to understand and know, uh, inside out what this house is like, it's good to come back to the beginning. So you're like, and that's it. There's no, there's nothing else. Like I, there, anything, if I show you anything else, it's a lie. Um, that, that's true. So there, it, it does define the parameters. It does do that. Mm -hmm. You're right about that. Yeah. Um, and that of course the alarm system is pertinent to their survival. It's the ticking clock in act three, uh, of when the cops are on their way and what causes Nordstrom to relent and broker deal with them that if they just leave, they can keep the money, but then he obviously breaks the deal. Um, because you know he's a horror monster. He and really is. Uh, he really is. But it's important to the story either way. The next thing we do is we regroup with money. So now we've really gone around the horn and we're going a second time. Um, we regroup with money and he ascends the stairs to the second floor. As he kind of points up, like to Alex, like saying, "Like I'm going upstairs." The camera drifts up through the ceiling instead. Doesn't follow him up the stairs. It literally goes through the ceiling. Mm -hmm. And we kind of get this probably semi, it will definitely semi comp shop that is, uh, uh, on a jib arm essentially, or what they probably is. I know, I'm not sure. It didn't look like a camera handoff, but I'm not sure exactly how they did it. It could have just put the cameraman on a crane in the first shot and then just had a stable dolly up oh, in a stage. You think that actually, you think those pieces were all one shot? No, no, no. Oh. So, Everything I've been describing is one shot so far. Right, right, right. But I'm saying but you think then they... we go up and through the floor space. Right. That floor space shot is its own separate yes. shot. I'm just talking about the seeming together. I see. Okay. I'm, yeah, that, yes. that made me curious. Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So the crawl space, the reason that that's important is that in Deep in Act 2, I think like probably sequence five, we that becomes like huge set piece because Rocky needs to get out of room and she gets into the ventilation crawl space and like the jog chases her and it's a whole thing. She gets knocked out. So we use that for like an entire 10 minutes of the movie. Once we have then phased through the crawl space, the camera assumes for like the third shot, but like we're still watching a continuous shot, right? The camera kind of assumes a pseudo POV of money because you don't see money. Like in the other shots, it's right. always been like, grazing their shoulders and like focusing on person. And then they look over the left. So camera pans the left. This is just literally like, okay, you are the person money because you're You're getting really close to these bedroom doors and you're walking kind of like a human. Um, at least the camera is. Um, 
so he enters Nordstrom's bedroom and the camera swipes past more picture frames and they kind of like take a beat while they uh, scan across them, which is an unnecessary move, except for the fact that it shows him and his daughter and him in the service. These aren't objects that play in the narratives unraveling. They're not like the hammer, but they're important character detail. The loss of his daughters made him insane and he's a capable fighter despite his age. Um, I mean, it, just seeing the guy in a wife beater would have done the job there. But yeah, yeah, he's kind of strong. Like, he, yeah, he's got know. old man. He's uh, got old man strength. Uh, he's got a whole bunch yeah. of rage and strength. Yeah, yeah. Um, the camera then continues and focus on home movie on like on the bedroom TV, which means that he falls asleep watching it. It marks the level of obsession that our antagonist has, and it uh, kind of informs the lengths we'll see later of how far he'll go to get what he wants, which is another daughter. Uh, so it's just daughter stuff. <laughs> little girl. <laughs> I, I want little girl. Okay. So I've gone through like nine beats. Here's the 10th. Yeah. The camera then floats down under his bed. It reveals a handgun strapped to a mattress, literally Chekhov's gun. That, yep. The handgun yep. becomes important. Absolutely. Is my point. Number 11. And kind of finally, as we set. So that, by the way, I think the mattress is another shot too. That's the other um, couplet. Like getting uh, getting under the it. The mattress is probably yeah, because yeah. it like they go under and it's clearly it, it fades to black. So it's like <clears throat> okay, you're probably cutting there. Um, but yeah, once we have done that, we go back up the mattress, like up the um, you know the lay the the side where we're now like right side up and where we reveal his face. The first time in the movie, we, we saw him at distance and in profile before, but this is the first time we've seen Norman Nordstrom's face and behind him is money about to knock him unconscious. Very cool. Very cool. One, right? It was awesome. Then the movie's off. Yeah, it was awesome. So it's like 11 moves. If you, if you parse everything based off important details to the narrative, uh, that are distractions from just the normal navigation of following these thieves rummaging through the space. Right. And what it's done is it's basically giving you a roadmap for the movie. It's highlighted all major set pieces. There's not any other set piece until we get outside and we get the car sequence. We even come back inside. There's not any location really that we haven't seen um, other than the outside daytime stuff which is very little. Yeah. It's given you the contextual geography of the entire space in his house. And it's given you some character detail that you didn't previously have about Norman, our monster. Yeah. It's so like, just to comment on what makes this so rad. I mean, most of the time, like in a movie, there's the first 30 minutes there's debating whether we're going to take the journey at all. Right. Especially in a horror movie. Then they do. And then you spend some portion of the next 30 minutes learning the ropes of the place before the real horror can begin. Right. So like the horror starts to really peak around the midpoint of the movie and then it really gets, and then the last half it's like, gets kind of bananas. Right. Which is why a lot of horror movies are slow. This movie, mm-hmm. the, the idea of because they're all snooping around, the camera floats free and then sort of gives us all the essential elements, like literal plot points that we're going to need uh, so that we can get to the horror right away is brilliant. I mean, it's just brilliant because it, it truncates the time. So like by minute 30, one of our characters is already dead, which is pretty surprising. It was like, oh, shit, like we're really getting somewhere. 
Um, it's just a huge time-saving measure, and it means you can do horror thriller stuff earlier, which as an audience, like, you know, you should just be appreciative of that, right? So you don't have to learn and learn and learn before the horror finally happens. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, it kind of puts us on rails now. Because there's nothing, yeah. there's no nothing new in the sun. It, it also you know? doing it this way makes me feel like the world of the movie is not as confining as it would feel in like I don't know Evil Dead Two, or just any movie that's like right. locked in one place, or even Panic Room. Uh, like they gave it made it feel spacious enough that I don't feel frustrated by the claustrophobia, but contained mm-hmm. enough that it feels like man they're never gonna get out of there. You know? Yeah, I just want to. I also want that to make that clear. Yeah. This isn't the only film to do no, this, nor is it the only way to do this. The fact that the movie decided to show all the plants in one shot is kind of a sensationalist approach. Uh, and you mentioned Panic Room, and I think Fincher had this similar approach to the framing of the space in Panic Room for the audience. And I think it's something that the filmmakers of this film were pretty aware oh, of as they basically use the same technique of going through the floorboards. Um, and the speed of the camera feels very reminiscent of Fincher's camera in Panic Agreed. Room. Um, so, yeah, I think that there's a lot of intelligence that other films have about this plant and payoff system. This is just one that I didn't expect to find in a, in a movie that's like, don't breathe. That seems like a... I don't know. Just a very kind of Dispo- a disposable movie, right? A movie that seems like okay, so it's it's you it's even its name is a trend in horror movie. Like you know, get out, don't breathe, you know, like we we're getting a lot of these types of movies or like trust no one or whatever or not trust no one, but like isn't there one that's like I forget. <laughs> Trust like, no one. There's could just a bunch of easily them. be a movie. You could like nobody it could easily, could easily be, be yeah. a movie. Yeah, it's just Mulder is the monster. You're locked in a house with Mulder, <laughs> and it's called Don't Tr- Trust. That's no an one. idea. Um, yeah, no, it's just this. Uh, there's a lot of flags that go up for me in terms of like this is a movie that doesn't necessarily have any. Like it's just gonna do the uh, standard. You know, treatment. Yeah, doesn't you know, it's just gonna? It doesn't feel like it's gonna be. It's not gonna do anything. ambitious. It doesn't seem like it has ambition to right. it. Yeah. And what I like about it is that you won't find one audience member who has watched this movie. In my opinion, I don't think so. That questions ge- the geography of this no, house. No I, way. Everything is super clear. This is important in horror, especially because suspense is built by you, the viewer, thinking about whether or not the character will make it to a door or if they'll have time to crack the safe or whatever. You've seen how long it takes to traverse things, how big things are, where things are. You already know this, so now it's just a game of how can the film surprise you with those givens. Uh, I think that's what makes for a good horror movie is the fact that if the monster controls the environment and the protagonists are susceptible to the environment that the monster has complete control of, what can they get away with? What can they scrap together piece by piece to actually come up with a W? And um, that's called tension. That's called suspense. And this film is basically dunking the first aspect of suspense the plant part um and uh not many movies do this it's true a lot of movies do the other thing which is surprise which is that i'm just going to play music and have someone alone in a space and then guess what 
they're going to feel you're going to get feel spooky because they're going to start looking around and they're like am I, am I, this is spooky and then suddenly a spooky thing happens like uh like a ghost comes out and you go ah <laughs> <laughs> so so you know you watch movies I think this is better. I do too. I think this is good directorial it, work. That's, that's it. Makes all. me appreciate like so. Uh, every time that we talk about this genre, I like to think of one of my favorite movies, which is Jurassic Park, uh, which is not a horror movie, but it's the same story type, which is you know you're trapped in a place with monsters and you got to get out. Right. Even Jurassic mm-hmm. Park, one of my favorite movies, spends a good thirty minutes training you on what kinds of dinosaurs there are. What avenues for escape are there and telling you, hey, there's yeah. a storm coming before it works for adventure. Yeah, before yeah. they let the T Rex out of the park. You know? Yeah. Like it and it takes a while. Uh but also in that movie mm-hmm. it works to the advantage because we're so desperate to see the dinosaurs that withholding them makes them even better. It's like, oh my god, you know, like uh so he, he had yeah, a great yeah. monster. It's just like you know. Yeah, yeah, it's the the goat sequence. Right, that's the sequence that they, all of that comes to pass because you're like, let's bring the goat in because we're tired of this yeah. bullshit. Of Give us the fucking dinosaur fucking already. Get, show us the monsters, yeah. and then he does. the goat disappears, <laughs> and we all go, oh fuck, yeah, yeah. oh fuck, and it's playing. My chaos. my grandma screamed. Like, it's become a family joke. Her the scream at that goat leg falling on the on the, on the top of that thing. She <laughs> yeah. went. Ah! like that like screamed really loud she was the mm-hmm. only one in the theater and it was amazing yeah yeah Sp- spielberg has a interesting notion of horror yeah. because he, he likes sees it. everything he's he, he likes the the he likes the bottom-up approach of everything and what i mean by that is looking like, up at stuff you mean chi- child like child yeah down looking up uh so like because it's through the eyes of a child even jurassic park uh and i i do mean but i don't just mean like low angle stuff like he does this thing where the horror comes out of the perspective of the people witnessing the thing like children do children are often outsiders who like look in and see like i don't know their family getting to their, their mom and dad getting a divorce or something like that, or they're watching as adults decide their fate or something like that. These are usually like trends in, in Spielberg films. So the horror is always very observational. That's That's very different than this camera and don't breathe. The camera is very intentional inquisitive and saying like, look at, look at, and it's yeah also inquisitive because it like meanders and like is like what's this what's this it takes moments where it definitely has an affectation um and i i believe that about camera and i think people feel that uh with a lot of these like one oneers one-er, are great examples because that that means the camera operator is just so intrinsically involved in the to, in just like the flow of the shot but um camera doesn't always have that affectation affectation and spielberg's doesn't uh, nah. spielberg doesn't it, it, it appears always yes. as an observant observant uh in its in its nature um it's always in the right place because spielberg spielberg but it's always transparent in that it's just like and then we see them watching and then we see what they're watching um this movie is a lot different where it's like i the director of the movie am telling you this hammer that's, that's true that's right spielberg doesn't doesn't like physically take the camera and go okay now look over here now look over there the way this movie does 
Uh, right. But I think we're more open to that now than we were in Spielberg's heyday. We are way open to yeah. it. And in fact, I think it's the the thing I was describing about what I believe is quote unquote bad horror um, is that on masculine. Uh, yeah, know? yeah. I, I, I agree. It's just this <laughs> malaise of meandering. It meanders. Like, yeah, I'm yeah. just like I'm going to yeah, just do that again. Just do that again. It's it's fucking annoying. You know, I think that that does kind of show its hand as being like I typically cuz I do have respect for the the Spielberg approach. Like just don't be in your movie is something that I respect personally. And this does show its hand don't breathe even to the casual viewer I'll think We'll have the thought after that shot. Hey, I bet that hammer will be important later because those, because all of these moments that I just drew out, like the 11 beats or whatever, they're so close. You begin to go, Oh, I know what they're doing. Um, so even if you're not really looking for the filmmaking tricks unraveling in front of you, you probably were aware that this was being done to you because it's so bam, 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 bam in a row. And I think some schools of cinema think that that's kind of poison for your story. I definitely have thought that in the past, um, you know, because it, it's like saying like, okay, so you're giving, you're showing your cards basically. Right. Um, it's, it's too obvious. In my opinion, it's a pretty it's too overt. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's, I think it's a pretty small one in terms of the bad habits we're forming in oh, general, yeah. but that's like literally an old man's opinion that I have. Well, <laughs> so I, I love, I love this debate. I think this debate is super worth having. Like, I, I just think that like, uh, the question is whether it distracts from the movie to me, that's the question to me. But I, I think the audience actually respects filmmakers who can meaningfully use unmotivated camera moves to tell a story uh, like they're open to that in a way they didn't used to be, you know, uh, like we were saying, yeah. like, I, I think Tarantino gets away with that I shit agree. all the time. No, uh, Paul Thomas yes. Anderson as well. I, I agree with unmotivated camera totally. being sometimes very fun to work with, but when you do it t- over and over and over and over, that looks a lot like, for example, the adage is that you, people have said in Hollywood all the time that you, if don't, don't use voiceover. Don't don't narrate right, right, through right. voiceover. Use, use action. Your movie's dead. Use action. Kind yeah. of stuff. And there's conventional wisdom why that's true. And then you think of some of the best movies that you've ever seen, and you realize that like that's not true of all of them. There's several movies that you can probably think of right now. They use like a narr- like a person narrating as like a part of the intrinsic part of that. A lot movie. of noir films. Uh, Double Indemnity springs yeah. to mind immediately. Princess Bride. That's true. Mag- yeah. Magnolia. Yeah. Like there's all over the yeah. place. Um, but I think the the reason is that you you know typical thing, you know the rules and then you can break them later. Um, but I think with this, it's the the absolute density and multitude, the not high number of these things happening time and time again. That it. That's why I say like I think some schools of cinema think that this is poison. Because then we start to develop bad habits. I think that's part of it. I think also there's kind of a a sense among filmmakers that there's an elegance to not having to physically turn the camera and look at a thing, but to organically Mm -hmm. showing it in its proper order and time. There's also just a, yeah, there's a difference in opinion on that. 
Yeah, no. One being better, one being worse. So yeah, it's obviously, there's a lot to debate about that and it's personal choice. But I would say that when when people say stuff like they didn't make them like they used to or the TV is like trash, <laughs> like opinions I have, um, for the most part, um, it, it's I think it comes out of a place of like there's no it it becomes about me 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 what i want to show you is the important part and sometimes that is the important part um but if i am only occupied occupied with that um it makes for a very egotistical kind of dynamic with the the audience it's true it becomes i'm doing this because i think i'm so good it could be that i mean you and i have argued a lot of times about what you've called transparent camera, which I think for this purpose mm. is a ca- like using the camera in such a way that you're not aware of how the camera is do is telling you the story. You're not aware of that. Right. And right. I mean, I also think that's a, a really elegant thing if you can do it in a way that feels dynamic and engaging. Like I, like I personally would prefer to not do Tarantino moves and to tell a story in a way where the camera's still engaging, but you still, but you never really think about it. Um, Tarantino also has a way to quote the past without you knowing yeah. it. So yeah, yeah. he's his references and what he's really truly getting off on, in my opinion, is not really present in a lot of his maneuvers. Well, I, and I also like he's just think doing standard good maneuvers. <laughs> a little bit. But I think the I think, secret thing is he's also kind of a maniac and he just quotes things constantly as an homage. Like it's not mean spirited. He's just like, I like this. I'm t- this is mine now, which is why they, he never seems to get acknowledged as a director. He always gets, gets acknowledged as a writer in Hollywood. Yeah. I think, uh, I think people, know. yeah, I think, yeah. I think they do too. I, I mean, not that I think he's bad. I think he's, you know, made a lot of great films, but, uh, oh, yeah. but I, Seminal, of course, uh, but I, but I yeah. also like, I kind of admire the films of Sidney Lumet, you know, um, I kind of, I, who's more yeah, transparent, absolutely. to be honest. I, I, I kind of admire Denis Villeneuve, right? Who, or Villeneuve, mm-hmm. who I think is, it was pretty, a pretty yeah. hands-off director in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. and then uh, you seen that prisoners fucking lips. Yeah. I mean, I, but I, but I yeah. also enjoy, you know, I enjoy the sort of like f- shoving your face into the tourism of some filmmakers too, if it's good. You know, like, like I think P.T. Anderson used to be pretty aggressive with that stuff, and I liked his early films for that. You know, um, so I don't know. It, it, it depends on. To me, it's not a. There's no intrinsic value either way. It's really just sort of like, am I in? Am I engaged in the storytelling, or does this distract? You know, uh, like I, th- I think Tarantino, yeah. when he does stuff that feels loud and you can sense the filmmaker, it always underlines a feeling that it is like, man, this movie's fun. Like he's always I underlining that. I think when your that. goal is to distract, it's a very good goal. It, then it's very good to do that if your goal is to distract for whatever reason. I agree. It, I'm not saying distract in a bad way. Uh, it can be very effective for your story. But I, I also um, like. But if your goal, if the reason is always because I think it is cool. Um, I don't know. I see. I resist, and I mean, you and I agree on this. I always resist uh, that kind of like oppressive stylizing, um, where that that usually feels like it's coming from older voices. Where it's like, oh, I can feel what you're doing too much. Like I'll never forget. I was sitting in a I was sitting in a USC class. It was where I was <laughs> directing a short film, and like it was like the first day of dailies or something. 
And this DP faculty was like, I feel like I can just feel the hand of the director too much on the dailies. And I was like, mm-hmm. where? And just in general was the answer. And I was like, well, then fuck you. <laughs> like, if you can't tell me where or how, that's just saying I don't like the movie. I don't know how to help you with that. Yeah. If they were like general to uh, like, I feel like my response would be like, so everywhere. Yeah. Right. So, so literally, literally all, all of it? it is too directed. Do you want a movie that's just lazy I'm... camera shots at whatever? So di- let's dial it in. How much direction right. should I give? <laughs> exactly. And I was like, I'm not going to win that argument. And that's not going to make this class easier to get no, through. No, you're going to win that argument. You're going to win that argument. <laughs> well, I'm going to win it in principle, but it's going to make my I win that argument. <laughs> it's going to make my whole semester a nightmare. So I didn't do that. I don't get it's not my fault. I didn't make this bed. They made it. I'm just having to live in it. No, I'm not gonna fuck you. You're making a shitty bed. I'm gonna live in the bed. I I'm gonna shit in. in the bed too. I'm gonna make it a yeah, little better. Yeah, we're all gonna yeah. I'll shit in the bed. We're all gonna shit in this Look, bed. We're revolting. Look, your bed making skills are poor. Let's just face it. Uh, and I got a shit yeah, to okay. give. So here it is, right in the bed. Yeah, you know. Yeah, it really. It does. Bother I hated me. that. Yeah. It does. But it does bother me when they can't do that. But that's different from. Cause but it's really. I think you're fairly transparent. I, I mostly, but not always. Like I'll do a cool shot. Uh, you and I know that. Well, I'll do a cool shot when I can. Um, cool guy. With uh, a cool yeah, shot. I'll put yeah. a hat on it. I'll put I mean, a hat I, on a I'm, shot. I'm like, look, you're talking to the king of wonders. <laughs> yeah, okay? Wonder king. Wonder king. <laughs> you know, I love that everything is everything that I've said in this about all my opinions is immediately nullified with yeah. the fact that I was the wonder boy, a guy who kept choosing to do wonders the loudest thing you can do with yep. a camera probably Abe, though, uh, other than like i guess just like shake it really <laughs> really fast like that yeah. would be pretty loud abe the abe uh, the wonder wonder uh i mean <laughs> slay a king that's what you do you slay with wonders uh, yeah no it's uh I have a very complex relationship with myself well i mean all um, filmmakers do right like I completely understand why I don't like filmmakers that don't rely on the craft and like actors and all their collaborators to tell their story, but feel like, no, no, I gotta, I gotta, they treat the camera like their own dick. Like it's got, I gotta shove it in the thing that I need you to see and want, you know, like, and it's just, that's exhausting. There's a problem. Yeah. It's exhausting. You know, like that's not fun. It's exhausting. Uh, Like there, like I don't, that's not the, the work and the storytelling of a person who's mature. And, uh, and I want mature story, you know? Yeah. And I want to be, every, everyone should think I'm an adult and I'm professional. <laughs> and I'm the king of professional. I don't like, I, I don't <laughs> like it when that they do that bad stuff. Right. I am more, I'm a, I'm a, I'm good at my job. That's what I want people to think. So that's, this is the way. That's I fair. Do. I think you're doing pretty good. I'm, I'm so good so at being good professional. At it. Yeah, you wear you wear a tie for your tie. Your tie has a tie. I'm so professional. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everyone knows this about me, and anyone who says otherwise is a liar without a tie. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that's it. For you did this great. One. You know, I just yeah, I just want to point this out because I was watching some movies and I was like, hey. This is a good well, part of this I, movie. I that wonder people. is super cool, and like it's hard to communicate to a person who's not a filmmaker how creative it is to choose to set up your entire second, third act this way. Like you just don't yeah. see that much um, because it's kind of a bold move. But I mean, I was watching the movie, and my reaction to that shot was, "Oh, this is cool." 
Uh, like I was, I was aware yeah. of it, but of course I was. I, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm looking for it. You're yeah. So it. Yeah. Uh, that to me says that it works. Like I didn't watch it and go, "All right, settle down." You know what I mean? Like that's my reaction when it's, yeah, when it's you a lot. Angry at it. Yeah. You didn't, it didn't feel like the w- dick wagon. No, I thought it was cool. Um, I, I actually respected I the it guy was for it. Pretty. Yeah, I think so. I think that's my takeaway as yeah. well. I because di- I I, di- I did say the whole thing about like some schools of cinema think that this is you know, a little embellishing. Um, but in my opinion, again, small in terms of the bad habits of reforming, uh, and like, honestly, fairly transparent work. I suggest people go and see it, or at least as I said in the beginning of this podcast, watch 30 minutes of it. I, th- I think they'll genuinely enjoy it. I like you said it was a mediocre film and it is from like a logic point of view. Like there, some- I change that. It's like a yeah. B. It's like a B. Yeah, which, I mean, again, it's a horror film. A B is not so bad, you know? Yeah, that's true. In terms of horror films, like, comparative to its genre, I think that should be the true metric. Yeah. Like, if you like horror movies, you're probably going to like it. Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, I think it's clever. It reminds me a lot of a thing that's been going on in video games for the last 10 years, which are, like, sort of these, mm-hmm. uh, they give you no weapons, but you have to survive uh, in a, you know in some by hiding essentially like the alien isolation game types, you know? Right. 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 Um, yeah. And I think it's a really good version of that, honestly. Yeah. So yeah, man, well, well told. Well, thank you, sir. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. All right. Catch y'all next time. Adios. This has been a small beans endeavor. We're a bunch of pals who make podcasts, sketches, music, web series, and movies. The beans always have new ideas percolating. So make sure to check us out at patreon.com slash small beans. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash small beans, where you can browse all of our current and past content, see what we've got planned in the future, and learn how your support can help the small beans grow into huge giant monster beans. If you enjoyed this content module, please like, rate, subscribe, or tell a friend about us. We love you.